Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some reason he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says, the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Morning, everybody. Look at that last line. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? As children of God, we are to live with the glorious hope, our primary hope, of the imminent return of Jesus. He's coming back at any moment. His people have been waiting for that uh, for millennia. And my question is, if he was to come back at 9.35 or 6 when I'm done with this message, uh, will he find us faith-filled? If you were to come back in a minute, after I finish this prayer, as we collectively go into the presence of God, would he find a congregation believing that God's going to answer our prayers? Let's go with that kind of faith right now into God's presence. Lord, we believe. We just sung, you're an awesome God. We spoke to our soul or sung to our soul to be still because you're on our side. We have faith and trust in that. Yeah, circumstances would betray that. But Lord, we're not, we're not those kind of people that are swayed by circumstance. We're asking that you would bolster our faith today. Give us a vision into your throne. The same thing that you wanted us, uh, you wanted your original hearers to see, help us to see. As the Apostle Paul said, open the eyes of our heart, Lord, so we could see the glorious power that is available for us who believe. So Lord, We believe, help our unbelief, encourage us today to keep going in faith, to keep praying, to never give up, literally to keep pestering you. Those are the children you love because you're a good father. So meet us today. I'm trusting your word to do its work. I pray this in Christ's name. And when we say amen, church, it means we believe. So instead of saying amen, let's finish this prayer by saying we believe. One, two, three. Ah, I love that. All right. Open your Bibles. I Hopefully they're there. Luke 18. Grab Bible study notes and let's dig in. Let me ask you a question as we start. Who loves being delayed? Uh, who likes going to the DMV without an appointment? Or, or who likes when you're driving down the road, opening up your navigation app and seeing a big red line on the highway in front of you, knowing that you're going to be delayed, right? Or this, uh, we're going, we're leaving for our break uh, this week. Who likes going to the airport, 
on time, ahead of time, and then seeing on the board your flight is delayed for five hours. (laughs) None of us do. There are delays that create desire in the DMV. You desire that your number get called. But then there's a whole different type of delay that creates a longing, a longing, big difference. I got an email last week from a very good friend telling me that a spot was found on his brain and they asked to go and get a biopsy. Life is delayed now. And that delay doesn't just create desire, it creates a longing in the unknown. I read the prayer requests and I love it. Week after week, requests come in praying for uh, letters or people or kids or other things that you just don't give up. Those delays create longings. Uh, Our first pregnancy, our daughter was 16 days past her due date. You better believe my wife had a longing to get that baby out. So what I'm trying to get at is none of us like delays, but there's delays that create desire, pretty much petty delays, but then there's delays that create longings. Both are hard, but a longing can be excruciating. I'm a huge fan of uh, missionary biography. I've told you that before, and I've also told you my favorite missionary, probably the woman in print in history who's marked my faith more than any other is a woman named Amy Carmichael. Amy grew up in a Jesus-following home in Ireland in the mid-19th century, and she looked like most Irish girls, fair-skinned, but instead of blue or green eyes, she had brown eyes. Now, in Ireland, as a little girl, uh, to be a brown-eyed Irish girl meant you deviated from the typical norm of beauty, and that crushed Amy as a child. But she had faith, and so every night she'd go to bed and pray, God, change the color of my eyes. <laughs> and little Amy would wake up, it said, and run to the mirror, only to see brown eyes. That gave Amy a persistent longing for God to change the color of her eyes. God answered her prayer with a no. Amy had brown eyes from the day she was born to the day she died. Now, at least for us as adults, we have a little bit more of an experience in knowing, as, especially for parents, that not every request is answered with a yes. And not every request is answered immediately, right? What do we call a parent who gives their child everything they ask for. Even if you're not a parent, what adult really believes that every prayer you raise before God is answered in the affirmative? No one is ever scarred in this life. You always get the right parking lot. Your your navigation app never has a red line in it, right? The DMV, you show up, they go, oh, we're so glad you're here, go right to the front. That's not life, we know that, right? I think what we really struggle with, really, in in this delay and these longings, uh, if you're a follower of Christ, especially, if you're not, this is the God imprint in you, deeper down, it's our longing for heaven. It's our longing for the coming kingdom where we don't wrestle and fight and struggle and experience pain of loss or pain of disease or pain of waywardness. That's the deeper longing. And everyone look at me really closely. God knows. Jesus cares about this. 
It's in this context we pick up our parable today. Are you in Luke 18? Move back a chapter to Luke chapter 17, verse 22. And let's look at the context of this parable. Luke 17, 22. I'm purposely not putting a lot on the screen, so you look in your Bibles, okay? Luke 17, 22. Not that the words are any different there than they are up there, but uh, I want you just to look in your Bible. Look what it says. Then he said to his what? Disciples. So this is a parable to followers of Christ. If you identify as a follower of Christ, this is for you and me. If you don't, listen in and you'll learn what Jesus teaches about prayer. The time is coming when you will long, there it is, a longing to see one of the days of the Son of Man. That's Jesus' uh, most self-proclaimed title. He loved that title. It's a claim to deity. If we had more time, I'd unpack that with the Old Testament. But just trust me, it's a claim to deity. He's saying, I'm God. But you will not see it. This is a parable for those with a longing. This is a parable for those in delay. This is a parable for those who think, how many times do I have to ask for this? God, are you even up there? Are you even moving? Because circumstance proves otherwise. That's what this parable is about. So I want to have you, ask you a question from the start, bottom of page one in your notes. What are you longing for? Not what do you desire. What is in you that is a heart longing that you have held for some time and it's painful? And the lack of an answer shouts at your faith. Why even keep praying? Get in touch with that. We all have them. It's part of the human experience. Listen, even Jesus had them. It's part of the human experience. Identify that. It will make this parable come to life, I promise you. In the rest of chapter 17, Jesus talks about his imminent return, but he mentions two Old Testament characters, Noah and Lot. And what they had in common was there was a promise and then a long period of delay before the fulfillment of the promise. And Jesus is training his original hearers and us, teaching us that, you know what? My timeline's not like your human timeline, but don't let it discourage you in prayer because your prayers matter more than you realize. How many of you know that God is calling us to pray for things that we'll never see fulfilled in our lifetime? You know this, I've heard, I've told you this before, but we are living in the only metropolitan area in the United States, in the history of the United States, that has never been touched by an awakening from the Holy Spirit. The only one, it's our claim to fame in the San Francisco Bay Area. Never had a revival in the Bay Area. It's the only metropolitan area. How many of you know if God's people pray, we may not see that in our lifetime, but we'll get to heaven, and let's just say revival hits in the year uh, 2254. And we get to heaven and God says, your prayers in 2018 made all the difference 200 years later. That's what Jesus is getting at. That's what prayer is in many ways. So let's jump into the parable. Now turn to Luke 18, okay? Luke 18, here we go. We're gonna walk really slowly through the parable, okay? 
And remember, a parable is Jesus' teaching device. Pastor Ben talked about this, where he pulls you into this fictitious world. And just as you step in and start to get used to it, Jesus turns you around and has you look at your own real world from the fictitious world. You have a whole new perspective. And you come out of that experience with brand new convictions from that new perspective. That's why Jesus taught in parables. Jesus told his disciples a parable. And as Ben said, this is one of only two parables where Jesus gave the cliff notes ahead of time. This is the purpose of the parable. To show them that they should always pray and they should not give up or not grow weary or not lose heart or not be discouraged. Who's tempted to be discouraged in prayer? Who's tempted to give up on prayer? I've been praying for my best friend growing up for, uh, see, I came to Christ at 18, 30, 37 years. I'm tempted to give up, you know? And this is why Jesus taught this parable, so that we wouldn't lose heart. Isn't he a good God? Yes, yes he's so good. He said, here we go, here comes the parable, in a certain town, and he's talking about a real-life first-century experience. In the villages, in Jerusalem, bigger cities, judges would be all over the place. Small villages, like the village Jesus grew up in, would have one judge in a tent, usually at the city gate. Jerusalem would have many judges throughout the city, uh, appointed by the Roman Empire to be judicious. Uh, if they were Jewish, they would have to be driven by a fear of God. That would be their, um, their accountability, fearing God, right? Let's look at this judge. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God, nor, he, nor did he care what people thought. This man was corrupt. He had no sense of shame regarding his corruption. He didn't fear God. He didn't care about people. He's breaking the greatest commandment in all of Scripture, Right? And then as Jesus reinterpreted the Torah, he's breaking the second greatest commandment. He didn't love God, he didn't love people. And he's a judge. And he has all the power. Imagine what that city was like, or village. I Googled, uh, just you know, going down this rabbit trail, corrupt judges in America. And this man's name kept coming up. His name is Mark Chiavella. He was a, a judicial judge in 2008. After many years on the court, he was a juvenile judge. His nickname was Mr. Zero Tolerance. He lived in Pennsylvania. He was a big supporter of harsh sentences for kids. He sent thousands of children to local juvenile halls during his tenure. And these kids, did they deserve it? No. He was known as Mr. Zero Tolerance. For instance, he sent an 11-year-old to juvenile hall for two years for taking his mother's car on a joyride down the street. Now, if I was in that city, I'd still be in jail, right, for growing up. Uh, he sent a 15-year-old to the same juvenile hall for mocking his assistant principal on Facebook. And he had to go to jail. He had a 17-year-old spend five months in prison for a first-time offense of stealing a DVD. And then it was discovered that that same juvenile hall was giving him financial kickbacks for all the kids he sent to jail. Okay, now hold that response. Did you hear it? That's the same response Jesus was trying to elicit from his original hearers. Corruption. This man, this judge in Pennsylvania received almost a million dollars in financial kickbacks. 4,000 sentences were overturned and repealed when this was discovered. 
that disgust you have or should have for that judge is exactly what Jesus emotionally is trying to bring out of you in that first line of the parable. He's the worst possible human being that's around. A steward of justice whose disregard for God and humans creates injustice for everybody who comes into his court. Okay? Let's meet the next character. There's a widow. She's the antithesis of the judge. Uh, In her day, she has no power. She has no financial means. She has no one to advocate for her. She is literally at the mercy of a corrupt, powerful, godless man. And we all know how that ends up for women. She's in that town. She keeps coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. So now we see someone's defrauded her. We don't know why there's no man in her life. Usually a man would take this role to grant her justice, a a relative, a husband, a son, a cousin, somebody. But she has nobody. She's desperate, destitute, deprived, and relentless. Every day, coming to him with two words, vindicate me. I put in your notes on the top of page three, two types of justice in the Bible. She's looking for restorative justice. Restorative justice. Verse four, for some time he refused. Jesus is painting a profile to elicit disgust. Why won't he do this? Why won't he stand for this woman? She's been wrong. Now look at this, but finally he says to himself, now we have soliloquy, right? Uh, A cartoon bubble pops up over his head and we learn what he's speaking to himself. Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, so at least he knows he's corrupt, right? He's not just basing that on other people's opinion. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, literally it means to belabor, now we see his motives, she's laboring me, I don't care what she thinks. She's just creating more work, and I care about me. I don't want to work this hard. That's the motive. I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come. I love this. And what? Attack me. It was a first century boxing term, meaning to give someone a black eye. She's hurting me, he's saying. Again, me, me, me. I won't grant her justice because of her. I won't grant her justice because there's an injustice. It's all about me. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. She's driving me crazy. And I got to get rid of her. This is purely selfish. Verse 6, and the Lord said, and he says to us today, ponder. Listen to what the unjust judge says. That's Jesus' way of saying, think with me about this parable. Okay, this is the point. We're inside the parable, right? We're living in this first century world of injustice. Are we all there? And this is the point where Jesus turns us around, has us look at our own life, our own longings, and says, now let's talk about you. It's an amazing teaching device. He's lowered our defenses. He's got us in a vulnerable place. And now we have to look at ourselves from heaven's eyes. Verse 7, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? That's Jesus' way of saying, who never give up. And will not God bring about justice? Some of the answers to your prayers, those longings that you wrote down, 
They may not come about in your lifetime. We have no guarantees. Even Jesus was identified in Isaiah as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. But we are guaranteed justice one day. Not if you look at life from cradle to the grave, but if you look at life from cradle to the throne. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? God's glorious throne where every wrong is righted, where we get grace and we live on mission on earth to give everyone in on this grace experience through Jesus Christ. When we look at it from that point, from the cradle to the throne, there's justice. Jesus promises that. And he says, somehow we get a chance through our crying out day and night, through never giving up, from taking that God longing, which is so right, we should long for healing. We should long for justice. We should long for our friends to come back to Christ, our loved ones. That is a God longing. And the accuser would say, give up, give up, give up. And God today is saying to each one of us, don't you dare give up. You keep coming before my throne. Because I am not like any human father. See, when I grew up, uh, it kind of worked this way. In my home, very patriarchal home, my dad sat on a throne. It was called his office. <laughs> and I would come in, and I realized uh, the rule was one no, and we're done. You keep coming after a no, and it just gets worse. So come back to me in 1978. I was dating Kate Ackenheil, and I wanted to go to a movie with Kate. I wanted to go to a matinee. I wanted to go see Greece. It came out in 1978. Now, two things were wrong. I was breaking the law in two places in the Gadini home. One, no dating allowed in eighth grade. Two, no seeing Greece. It was just not a good movie. And even though our home wasn't a Christ-following home, and that day Greece was out of bounds. So I said, how do I whittle my dad down? So I came to my dad. He was in his throne in his office. And I said, Dad. Can I go see a, a movie at 10 o'clock on a school night with my friends? I want to go see Animal House, rated R, really out of bounds. My dad says, are you kidding me? No. Son, not one, we don't see rated R movies. Two, you're not going out on a school night at 10 o'clock. Playing right into my little inner lawyer's mind. <laughs> so I come back about five minutes later. Okay, dad. How about if we go to a matinee? No. You're still going to see a rated R movie. No rated R movies. Okay. I come back. Dad, third time. This is my thinking. How about if I go to see a PG movie in a matinee? No. And now he's just going on his principle. Like once I said no, it's no. I don't care if you want to go see a rated G movie. Now it's over. And he's like, you ask me one more time, you'll be grounded. I still came back. And I got grounded. <laughs> My dad passed away two years ago. And uh, on his deathbed, he said, Gary, you can go to movies now. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I got grounded, right? What was the rule? The rule was, after one no, you don't come back. You trust my no. The more you come back, it actually erodes my uh, reputation in your eyes. It tells me you don't trust me. You don't respect me. So one no and you're done. God is just the opposite. God is saying, I am not like your father. I will answer you every time, sometimes in no, sometimes in wait, sometimes in yes. 
but you don't ever stop coming back for me. I will give you constant permission to come back and back and back. So he's using this uh, contrasting parable to show us he is so different than the unjust judge. Look at verse 8. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and what? Does that mess with anybody quickly? I've been praying for my best friend growing up for 35 years. Doesn't seem like a quick answer to prayer to me. That's because I'm looking at time from my perspective, one minute, one day, one hour, one week, one year at a time. God looks at it from his eternal perspective. Let's not forget, he sees eternity past to eternity forward all at once. God can take in infinity all at once. What is 35 years in the breath of infinity? It's quick. It's nothing. God told Noah there'd be a flood. Do you know how many years it took before the first raindrop fell ever on planet Earth between the promise and the raindrop? A hundred years. A hundred years Noah was building an ark, mocking. People were mocking him. And God said, this will be quick. And Noah's like, a hundred years isn't quick. God says, oh, compared to eternity, a hundred years is really quick. And he promised Abraham a son. 25 years later, the son appears. He promised the last book of the Old Testament, Messiah's coming. 400 years later, the Messiah comes. And all of them are quick from God's timeline. See, quickly by God's calendars, not necessarily quickly by ours. But God can't be stiff-armed from our timeline. He's committed to his. And somehow, let's not forget, he's the Lord. We fit into his timeline. We don't invite God to fit into ours. Right? Very important. Now, here's the key point. However, verse 8, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the encouragement to us all. Take this woman as our example. Will he find this kind of persevering faith? Will he find this kind of desperate, persevering prayer? Will he find this kind of enduring confidence? Or will it be, going back to chapter 17, like in Noah's day or in Lot's day, where there's just a few that hold on for the long haul? That's what he's getting at. So what? Jesus uses this example as an argument from lesser to greater. It's a philosophical argument. If this widow could get justice from this hardened, crusty, uncaring judge, doesn't it follow that a loving, tender, gracious, heavenly father will hear and answer his own children, whom he's chosen to be in his family, who cry out to him for relief? That's the whole point. Not only are we welcome in Jesus' presence, not only does he come in, but he says, while you're here, bother me, pester me. I'm not put off by you coming back again and again. I cannot tell you how much when I uh, get discouraged in prayer, I go back to this parable, and it actually lengthens my prayers, not in time, but in perspective. I'm praying for things down the generations of my line that I will never earthly see on this planet, but I know make a difference. Some of you are doing that too. I love that. I'm praying for things in our community, injustices that are in our community. I may never see the answer to that prayer, but I know my prayers are making a difference because I'm taking God at his word. 
The heart of God in this text is he never grows weary from hearing you. God loves the repetition because in the repetitive asking, don't miss this, you ready for this? Circumstances may not change, but you know what happens in the repetitive asking? This is so good. I change. My heart changes. I look more and more like Jesus. And I'm not saying I'm the poster child in this. God chips away at my quick schedule, chips away at my timeline, chips away at my view of him as some vendor that I can come to him and just give me this, give me this, give me this, chips away at it all. And as God is delaying, he's saying to me, hey, can I just say something, Gary? We'll deal with the answer. Justice will come in my timeline. I just love that we, you have this sense of urgency. I just love you being in my presence and asking. I just love how the delay isn't wearing you down. Let me strengthen you in this and keep going. Because I need some warriors on the peninsula who are going to pray God-sized prayers and who don't have to be holding out for an answer in their lifetime. And I'm molding you into one of those. Is that encouraging or what? I can't wait to get to heaven and see the answer one day of all my prayers. I am so encouraged by this parable to always pray and to never give up. Amy Carmichael had the benefit of seeing that answer in her lifetime. Uh, Amy went to Japan to be a missionary and uh, she was there and took a trip to India and saw a great injustice. She saw little girls called Shalis whose parents gave them to the Hindu temples to be used as temple prostitutes, little girls. Amy Carmichael was one of the first abolitionists before it was cool to be an abolitionist. I mean cool in the sense like today we have international justice mission and great causes to stop the slave trade. She thought, how do I get these kids released? And she moved from Japan to India at her churches um, saying, don't go. She went. She couldn't stop but going. Amy was chronically ill her whole life, lived in pain her whole life. And she took, she thought, how do I get these kids out of the temple? She took coffee grounds and put them all over her skin to get brown skin. She dressed in Hindu dress and she walked into the Hindu temple and would literally uh, steal, can I call it that, the kids and bring them back to her home where she became ama or mommy to these children. And the one thing that ensured she looked like an Indian woman, her brown eyes. God had a divine plan for her greater than her desires. The Donover house that Amy started rescued a thousand little girls and boys in her lifetime and still exists to this day. Because God was looking for one woman who wouldn't be discouraged by not having her prayers answered, but could live in the delay for his greater good. Let's pray. So yes, Lord, you know our human condition and you're not put off it. Yes, you see the longings that we either wrote or identified with. And they're good longings, they're from you. And yes, we confess at times, Lord, we wanna give up, we feel like you're not there. But then there's days like today when your word comes alongside us, lifts our head and sees prayer from your perspective as opposed to from ours and encourages us. You know, that's my heart today. It's your heart, more importantly. Give us faith. 
Give us a renewed persistence to pray bold, audacious prayers and to never stop storming the throne of heaven. Give us that kind of faith, Lord. And Father, would you be so good in our lifetime to see these longings fulfilled? But if not, we're not giving up. We're going to be faithful because you're a good father. And we can be trusted to pray for things that will outlast us in our lifetime. It's enough to wait for eternity to see the answers. Strengthen us, Lord. Strengthen us. Just pray that to, your, to the Lord. Strengthen me. Forgive my prayerlessness. Forgive my uh, incorrect theology of having you be a vending machine, God. And prayers about me just asking. I need your help here, Jesus. Jump into my prayer life. You're praying with me, Romans 8 says. You're interceding for me. I feel it. I feel it, Lord. I feel the strength rising in this body. I feel the prayers getting more and more bold. I see a more just and caring peninsula because your saints are gathering to pray and believe you. I see this Wednesday night prayer gathering, which is just a fledgling gathering, filling this sanctuary <laughs> with your saints, going for it in prayer. I love it. Bring it about, Lord. Bring it about. Jesus, we agree with you. And we say, let's say it together, we believe. One, two, three. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.